welcome to Deserted with Lindy and Grace. On this podcast, we ask our guests what dishes they would take to our deserted island and the stories behind them. We all have dishes that transport us back to a moment in our lives. Food can leave a lasting impact and we want to know what those dishes are to you. Our mission is to shine a positive light on food and show how the power of a dish can shape a person. So join us whilst we dive in deep to our guests' experiences and find out what they'll be eating on our deserted island. Yesterday, I went to a Mexican restaurant um, to um, have brunch and get food and like looking at the menu beforehand, it looked, you know, pretty friendly for me, um, which was great. Um, Not, you know, lots of options on the menu and then, you know, get there and sit down and he basically is like, we cannot accommodate you right now because, you know, we have to tell you that there will probably be cross contamination, which is just, it's difficult now because they have to tell you that. It just doesn't make you feel good. And so like I ended up, I did end up ordering um, chips and guac because I thought, you know, that was like, I got two two chips and guacs because I thought, you know, that's the safest. Um, But at the same time, like they did tell me, you know, even that probably could have maybe cross contamination, which I'm just like, I know you use dairy and nuts in your kitchen, but try can you take special care and they say yes we will tell the kitchen and take care but at the same time we cannot guarantee I think it's so hard because I have been the server saying that and then I've Mm -hmm. also been the customer with the allergies I completely understand the restaurants wanting to say like but no person with an allergy doesn't know the risk yeah like there's no one that's like has an allergy goes to a restaurant says that they have an allergy and doesn't assume that there's going to be a risk but there's gonna there's a risk in everything right Mm -hmm. and so what we want the restaurants to do is just to say you know that there's a risk right we all do but i'm going to make sure that the chef knows and takes care for this one thing it might not be the dish that we would Mm -hmm. serve normally but I'll make sure that one person is going to be working on your dish. Like, that's it. Clear the, t- clear the area, make new things, wash the, the sample. And yes, if it's busy, it's really hard. I get that. But also, we make it happen. People can make it happen. I've made, people have made it happen for me. And I have many allergies, you know. I think it's all about the person, like the staff. Yeah. There are some staff that's like, I will do everything that I can. Because I say, I'm sorry, there's not a ri- there's a risk, but I have allergies. So I'm going to make sure that this is, you know, because I care and I have, mm-hmm. I know the allergy community. A lot of people have no idea what the, the fear that goes into people. And I, I, like, I have so many plans of like wanting to educate like staff based on being a person with allergies like yeah. based on like the bedside manner that we should have not bedside table side manner that they should have because a lot of people have no table side manner yeah and it's, it's it's almost like you're like you how dare you come out and eat right <laughs> and you know it's like how right. dare you come and do, like come out and eat and you know because pay, pay, pay you're a pain like you're you know you're a burden on the kitchen because the kitchen's busy and they have other people mm. to about. and it's like we're not even asking for you know I don't know it doesn't seem like that much and I get that kitchens are small and it's busy and everything but at the same time like we're paying and 
you know, we deserve. We deserve the same respect as everybody else, you know, and it's the fear that they're coming at it because they're afraid. And I get that. But I also think that you can make anything can be made to work. And I think it's just some people just don't want to make do the work. Yeah. And I've always said, like, you know, I'll go to a restaurant and if it means I can eat, like I'll have like literally boiled broccoli, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just to like just to be part of it. And it's, you know, some of the some of the things um, and this relates a lot to our guest this week, um, Tammy, who has over 200 allergies, you know, she's had she mentioned, you know, a chef coming out and yelling at her Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, basically wanting to come out and eat, which is just, you know, obviously that doesn't happen everywhere, but it's, um, it shouldn't happen anywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) One time is too many times. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, like when I, it's a bit different now, but like when I was a kid, I got physically removed one time because I wa- I didn't want even ask to eat. I just wanted to sit down with my friends and I just told the chef I'm not eating because I have allergies. So I'm just, don't worry about me. And he's like, well, you can't sit here if you're not gonna eat. And I will not, I will not take your order now that you said that you have allergies. And so like genuinely they were like, you can't be here. Like that's what, like you can't be in my, and my friend had already, my friends had already ordered and their food was coming out. Um, and I was just like, and they, they physically removed me because I didn't want to get out. I was a teenager. I was like, what do you mean? And so I think it's, you know, it is really horrible. Um, and it's so rare that it rarely gets mentioned because it's yeah. rare. But it's just like, if I have a story and she has a story and like somebody else has a story, there's too many stories for this to happen. Nobody should be physically or be made to leave an establishment. I'm okay with not eating, but yeah. don't like be rude yeah and it, and it's it's like you know I hate to say this but it, it for me sometimes it really gets me really flustered and I know it mm-hmm. shouldn't but I'm just kind of you know sitting there like I don't know what to do like yeah. I'm trying to be easy you can literally you know put a piece of grilled chicken on a pan and yeah I'll eat that but it's it just so flustered and then especially when you're around other people too like I always get a little bit overwhelmed but I know that's something that I have to you know and it's not I'm sure it's not just me I know we've all had those moments but um yeah yeah I mean it is horrible and I mean especially when you're traveling and you don't know what the vibe is in a, in a different country like mm-hmm. you don't know whether they're going to be really good with allergies or really bad and th- that's why it's great when we have the online allergy community because you can kind of just ask like mm-hmm. have you traveled here what's it like how do you deal with it but like it is scary and we talked about that with Tammy about how she spontaneously travels and mm-hmm. I have that too like I just like to be like you know what I'm gonna go here mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go and we talked about like how it food doesn't even come into it like we'll mm-hmm. bring snacks we'll bring this because sometimes food can especially with people with allergies food can be a barrier to seeing the world mm-hmm. I think food will never be a barrier for me I'll just bring my own snacks or I'll I go to Airbnbs mostly like mm-hmm. just for a few nights or whatever and I just buy a couple things at the supermarket yeah. and to tie me over like a little snack if I'm going out throughout the day I'll just like make a sandwich or something and then maybe I'll leave at the Airbnb if there's too much food mm-hmm. or give it to a friend like you know like there's yeah. all these ways and yes it's it costs a lot of money but it allows me to feel safe 
Mm-hmm. And so like the cost is actually not a lot. If I, it makes me feel safe, I'm fine. Like I did that for a wedding and I brought my food that I prepared in my Airbnb to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And so like I never had to worry about like, oh my God, I had to talk to the chef and the caterer and, and, the, per- and the person who it was. And there was nothing like that. I just took out my Tupperware, put it on the plate and just ate the food. Mm-hmm. And it just was really easy. Yeah. And so for me, I just would rather get rid of like the whole like talking to so many people to make sure that my food is safe and still freaking out that my food might not be safe. Yeah, and we talked to Tammy about this too, like her, you know, she's, you know, her family's Vietnamese and a lot of them, you know, it's in Vietnamese culture, allergies are not that prevalent. And so a lot of her family doesn't understand sort of the allergies and the food restrictions that she lives by. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just having the strength to sort of own your own food. you know, choices and, you know, you know, she has to do what she has to do. And I think it's really empowering to hear her story of like learning how to sort of battle, you know, even her family not understand. You know, it's one thing we were talking about having restaurants not understand, but also having family not understand, yeah. difficult. This episode is really good. And it, I've, learned a, I've learned a lot, what she's talked about. I've learned a lot about like managing everything and her food restrictions and things like that. And yeah, it's just a really nice, and we really love to have her on because she is a foodie and mm-hmm. she, on her Instagram is a foodie with allergies. So like, you know, she's very aligned into who we are as a podcast and as people. So yeah, it's a really good episode and I think you guys will enjoy it. And um, yeah, I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Let us know what you think and um, yeah, see you next time. Hi, Tammy. Thank you for coming to Deserted. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited to have um, a foodie with allergies um, on the pod this time around. Um, if you haven't checked out a foodie with allergies, your feed is beautiful and makes my mouth water pretty much every every time. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are way too sweet. <laughs> well, I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit, um, we'll tell us and listeners a little bit about you and just your background um you know how you became a foodie what inspired your Instagram and just yeah yeah so um I guess it's a really long journey I I've always loved food I've always loved beautiful food and taking photos um but I grew up having allergies from the age of six and I currently have over 200 different food allergies. Uh, and that has developed over the years. Um, every four to five years, I get retested for food allergies. And it wasn't until I had moved back from London, I guess, three or four years ago, that I realized things were really bad and just how significantly my body was reacting to things. And that was when my whole life changed and I felt like I couldn't eat anything. My doctors were a little bit out of a loss as to what I could eat. Um, And that's when I started a foodie with allergies, kind of a place where I could put my feelings out there and my struggles. And in that found a community of other people like you guys who also have food allergies, um, who could relate and that I could talk to and other people who looked up to me as someone who was vocal about my struggles. 
and the anxiety that comes with eating food or going out and figuring out what you can eat safely. Wow, 200 allergies is a lot. Are these all anaphylactic or um, kind of on an intolerance spectrum? They are all over the spectrum. (laughs) So not so many um, anaphylactic unless I have an overload of them, uh, but mostly um, topical or oral or it's just all over the place. And how did you, because like with your page, you, it seems super positive and it seems really that you still love food. And like, you know, a lot of times like me and Grace have felt that people are confused that we really love food when we have all these allergies and feeling like restrictions. And so how did you find that still that that still love for food and still going out and still like was that a journey are you still on that journey like how is it that you find positivity in food that is definitely still a journey that I fluctuate with some days are better than others uh I think it started mostly because I was living in a life downtown going out with friends all the time going after work and I wanted to be able to feel normal Uh, not have to be a burden to my friends or finding places that other people with allergies could feel comfortable at, you know, working with the establishments, being able to ask them questions. And there have been times where I've like run out of a restaurant crying, had servers yell at me. I've heard cooks say, well, she dies. That's not my problem. And that's really hard to deal with. Um, And so I, I don't, necessarily think that my Instagram and my page is all that positive I kind of try to be very real about my struggles Um, and I think it's great that people find positivity out of that because I have had other people say you know like you talking about your struggles is really really a downer and we don't want to see that but I think it's important for those of us with allergies and going through the struggle to really see and feel like they're not alone you know we all go through that and there are bad days there are days where I feel like it's too stressful to eat so sometimes I just don't um which I know is not healthy but I guess it's kind of a part of it (laughs) I think health is mental and physical you know and so if you feel like your physical health isn't going to be worsened and that will cause your mental health to be worsened like you know definitely is like it's not worth it you know like sometimes the stress of it like I was like I really want to go out I really want to eat this food but sometimes the stress of that isn't worth it and you know it's it's better to protect your mental health um so with that going forward like what is your dish number one my dish number one goes back to my childhood. It is called Bundet Um, And Tet is uh, <clears throat> Vietnamese New Year's. So this is a, I guess, rice cake that we eat for New Year's and in celebration in Vietnamese culture. Uh, so growing up, it was always when we had a lot of family around, the house is decorated. It was just very festive. Um, and so that holds a really good memory for me, as well as it's a glutinous rice, sweet rice cake uh, that has mung bean in it and like marinated pork, and it's wrapped in a banana leaf, and it's kind of like a circle. And then you fry it on both ends, 
So it has nice and crispy, like beds on the outside and it's nice and chewy on the inside and it's warm. Um, but it's something that I used to like sit around at the table or on the counter and watch my mom cook. And you could, it's, the house smelled like it, I feel like for a day or two afterwards because the aromas are so strong. Um, and so mainly it reminds me of my mom and just spending time with her. Uh, and so I think that's something I don't think I could live without and I could probably eat every day for the rest of my life. That's, a, that's amazing. And I guess like having a food that you've had since like you were little and like now and have that stability even through like all the food intolerances and stuff is something that's really special. Um, I guess um, I actually have two um, Vietnamese half sisters and um, I know for them, like, I'm the only one with allergies. And um, I guess in Vietnamese culture, allergies, like, aren't, you know, a very prevalent thing. So how did that sort of impact your, you know, family gatherings and celebrations? It's stressful. You're completely right. Like, in Vietnamese culture, allergies are not a thing. Um, my mom does not like cooking for me. Family events are very not allergy friendly whatsoever. Uh, I have a few cousins who have seafood allergies or peanut allergies and that's manageable for the family. Um, but with the extent of my odd allergies, like I'm allergic to garlic and onions, which is the base of like all Vietnamese foods. Um, so I can't really eat anything. So I just try to either bring my own food or make my own. Um, I also try not to put that burden on my family of having to figure out what they can cook for me for holidays and family gatherings because I already feel like a burden enough as someone with allergies. Um, and I know how stressful it could be trying to figure out recipes for myself or how to adapt the recipes that I like with allergies. I don't want anyone else to have to deal with that. Um, so, so yeah, but it is very rare. How was it then growing up and like living in your family's house, like how did you like figure it out by yourself? Like, did you have to figure it out by yourself? Yes and no. Um, so I <clears throat> knew for sure that I had allergies when I was six years old, but everyone told me to just ignore it and that it was in my head. And that if I just continued to eat the things that I was allergic to, I'd be fine. Uh, which obviously you guys know is not the case. <laughs> and it's not very healthy. But that's how I lived most of my life. I would avoid the things that I knew would give me a really bad reaction. But other than that, it was like, oh, I can just deal with it. Or, oh, it won't be that bad. Or if I eat enough of it, I'll be fine. <laughs> um, so Benadryl's my best friend obviously um and I don't think there has ever been a way in my family growing up that I was like okay like I'm comfortable with this I figured it out I just avoided the things that I knew I shouldn't or just dealt with it I didn't really talk to my family about allergies until maybe last year when I moved back home because in our culture, they just don't really get it in my family. It's just not something that's very understanding of. They're like, well, normal people can eat these things. You need to be normal. 
Um, and so I'd rather just avoid it um, type of thing. Did that create yeah. some food fear growing up? Uh, I wouldn't say as much fear. I think my food fears came later as my other allergies developed, like my wheat allergy. Um, I've always been allergic to tomatoes and avocados, but I don't like the taste of tomatoes anyways. So it was always easy, like, oh, like I want that sandwich, no tomatoes, that's fine. Or I'd just take it off and sometimes the juices of the tomatoes would be on it and I'd still react, but at least I wasn't tasting the tomato. So it's like one or the other. Uh, avocados, pretty much the same. Um, not as much as a fear because I knew that I could handle it. But once I realized that I was allergic to potato and wheat uh, these past few years, there was more of a fear because I realized what it was doing to my body. And I knew what that feeling of the reaction would be and how long it would take for my body to heal itself. And so now if I take a bite of something, my and I feel the texture of like the bread or I remember one time I took a bite of an ice cream cone, like just absentmindedly because, you know, and I instantly spit it out and I was like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? I'm going to react. And it was just very stressful and things like that happen a lot or used to happen a lot when I was still adjusting. It sounds like a really tricky situation to be in to sort of have to like be figuring out yourself and like also having like I mean people in restaurants don't understand what we're saying you know like at least for like Lind I own I'm only allergic to um dairy and all nuts but like I go to a restaurant and people don't even understand what I'm saying like I can't even imagine having my family also not understand like the gravity of the allergies so I just don't I'm so impressed that you've managed to deal with this honestly what what's your dish number two <laughs> my dish number two uh and I guess this is kind of a tricky one because it definitely has wheat in it but it would be Jaffa cakes because I had no idea what those were until I was living in London as an au pair. And I remember walking into a co-op after, after the school run and the little girl was like, I want these. And I was like, I don't know what those are. Like it's this big box and it's this thing covered in chocolate and it has oranges on it. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, Cause normally she'd like get like, I don't know, like a candy bar or something like that. And we get in the car and she hands me one. And I was like, what is this? And she was like, it's just eat it. <laughs> and I fell in love with them, honestly, to the point where every time I go back to the UK, I'm like, they're always in my bag. And every time my friends from the UK send me care packages, it's mostly just Jaffa cakes. Um, and there's something about the sponginess of the cake and the tanginess of the orange and the sweetness of the chocolate that just feels like happiness in my mouth. Uh, and I know that's kind of odd because it has wheat in it, but I'm not allergic to foods that are produced in the UK that have wheat. It's mostly American wheat that I'm allergic to. Um, that goes into like a whole different other conversation about allergies and environments and the way America processes food. 
Um, so yeah, Jaffa cakes, like I love them so much and it's ridiculous because I feel like a six-year-old saying that. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's actually a lot of talk, like I've heard a lot of chatter about wheat in Europe versus wheat in the States. And it's not just wheat, like it's like meat stuff. It's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people react, like their gut microbiome reacts to certain foods based on where they're from and where they're produced and how long it takes to get from the farm to, you know, their plate and, you know, all of those things. And I think it is, I think it is important to have that conversation maybe not today, but have that conversation of like the gut microbiome and having a healthy gut. And the fact is that it is to do with the farming and it is to do with that. And it's not like, that's not why allergies, like especially anaphylactic allergies, it's not why we're anaphylactic, but there is like some sort of like intolerances and things like that, that can be justified based on how they're produced. And I think that is really important to discuss. Um, but I really want to talk to you about Jaffa Cakes because I've actually never had a Jaffa Cake before. Have you, Grace? Because you you wouldn't. Um, yeah. So we've never had them, but like obviously we know, and there's a lot of debate about whether it's a biscuit or a cake in this country. And um, so I have a really pressing question for you, knowing that you love Jaffa Cakes. Is it a biscuit or is it a cake? Ooh. That is such a hard question <laughs> to answer. That's a, it's a big debate in, here in the UK and I'm not going to lie. I, my boyfriend and I the other night were like trolling through YouTube and we found a like Jaffa Cake Vice documentary and it was like all these, like how the Jaffa Cakes are produced. So I actually have a weird amount of knowledge of Jaffa Cakes at the moment. Like, it's just funny that you say that. It's like a coincidence because I just watched a documentary on Jaffa Cakes cakes after never really thinking about them before um apparently they make sorry this is off on a tangent but like apparently they make fifteen thousand tons of jaffa cake a year that's a lot of jaffa oh cakes Fifteen thousand tons. so many anyway yeah so back to the question I love that though. <laughs> biscuit or cake what do you think that's hard because i'm also an american and we don't call cookies biscuits I mean, the name is Jaffa Cake, right? So technically, based on the name, it's a cake. And I feel like biscuits in the UK sense of biscuits, on American biscuits, are usually, they have more of a crunch in them. Like you can, right? Cookies kind of like have a crunch. And Jaffa cakes are also spongy. They have that sponginess. So I feel like that's what makes them a cake. But I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there's more argument for cake than biscuit. The really only leading argument for biscuit is the size, right? Right. Yeah. In my opinion. And the, the circumference and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And like the chocolate covered thing but like I definitely want to try and I feel like now I want to I want to give it a go but I, I love that you were an au pair in London because I have been a nanny for five years and so I've had I have a lot of nanny and au pair friends throughout this time and it is like I know that the connection like 
I my, some of my best friends were nannies with me and the connection that you create with those people because it is a solo job unless you meet other nannies you know it, th- those are our colleagues those are the people and you meet people from all around the world and have different like they have different cuisines they have different cultures so like I mean just like quickly in being an au pair in London like how did you find like being social and like with food and like going out all the time like did you find that people were receptive to you and your food allergies or did you have a few issues like what was that story like I as a whole have found that people in the UK and Europe are much more receptive to allergies and dietary restrictions than the people in the U.S. And I say that on a social level and a like restaurant and industry level. When I went out to eat in Europe and in the UK, if I said I had an allergy, they took it seriously. And I noticed that things like gluten-free and allergies were noted on menus much more frequently than in the U.S. Uh, I also... At least where I was, I found that in the shops, there were a lot of really great alternative or allergy-friendly grocery items. Um, But I've also talked to a few people recently, and they're like, oh, yeah, the UK is really behind in options, which is completely the opposite of what I experienced, so I'm not sure. But the people that I met, um, I think they're my best friends that I met as being an au pair were from Australia and Italy, and they were all very, very um, conscious and kind about the restrictions. Yeah, I've got a lot of Australian friends, and they are the best. They are the best. So yeah, I love that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, when did you, when were you living in London? It was 2017, 2018. I think that the US has grown immensely in the last couple of years in their food products. And I lived in the, in the States for six years up until 2015. And there was nothing when I was living there. Like it was so hard to find anything. And now I see all of these products coming out, all of these allergy friendly products. And I go, why is it, why wasn't that? And I think that the UK is behind in that sense. But I think like in 2017, 2015, it wasn't, it wasn't behind, it was the same. And we have a lot of legislation and legalities on eating out and having and our products. So we have, we have had a lot of like, rulings on like, you know, putting things in bold top, we have top 14, not top eight, you know, so there's a lot more things that happen in the legal sense in this country but um, less products than the states in Canada so I think it's like what what do you need what's beneficial to you like for me I want the products because I don't eat out but you know if somebody wants eats out all the time they want that legality so it's just based on like who you are and what you want I I find eating out here though they say I'm totally agree with you like I lived in Hong Kong until I was 11 and then was in the states until 2019 and in the states like when I was younger there especially in like the early like mid mid 2000s and then like in the 2010s like 
there just weren't as many like I would come to the UK and like bring back food from the UK to the States and now it's ex- completely the opposite like completely but just in eating out here I find it's more of a like they'll tell you that they can't guarantee cross cross contamination whereas in the states are like oh yeah like we can handle it like we've got it blah 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 um and here they're like no you know I've the same thing as you it's like they turn around and say that you know the the head chef will come out and say we can't I don't want to cook for you because you know I can't accommodate for you and I don't want to be responsible that would has never even remotely close to happen to me in the states but here it happens fairly regularly because they just don't want to be liable just because of everything and so I guess it's just a I guess it's I don't I honestly don't know how I feel about it because sometimes I'm like obviously I know you use nuts in your kitchen I'm just not I'm just asking you to be careful keeping them away from my plate you know just don't throw the nuts around the kitchen while I'm (laughs) while I'm like eating but yeah I don't know it's a definitely a, a topic of discussion yeah um, so I think we'll move on to dish number three now. Um, what are you taking? This one I feel like is very predictable for my followers, uh, but I would take some boba, obviously, because I can't live without boba. It's probably one of my main food groups. Uh, it is not healthy by any means, <laughs> but it makes me happy. And I think through this food allergy journey and food anxiety and mental health journey that I've been through for the past few years, finding the foods that I enjoy and make me happy and that I don't have to have any anxiety over are the ones that I plan on having around for a very, very long time, if not forever, and that I will continue to eat even if they're not the healthiest. Um, so boba is kind of odd because I actually don't necessarily like the tapioca balls in boba, even though that's what boba refers to. Um, I actually really like milk tea. And so just having a really great brewed tea with a little bit of, I use oat milk when I make my own um, or non-dairy creamer. And I do a 30% sweet because contrary to I guess popular belief I don't actually like sweets I'm more of a savory tooth um which is weird because I also just I eat boba and ice cream like on a regular basis but I don't like sweets (laughs) so uh yeah and so in college I worked at a boba shop and that just kind of I think was I don't know the beginning of a very big fire and I haven't stopped drinking boba since actually that's a lie Directly after working at a boba shop, I probably didn't drink boba for like a good year or two because I didn't, I couldn't stand the smell of it. It just reminded me of working in that shop. But after I got through that, and especially after living in London and learning how to properly brew a good cup of tea, it's kind of changed forever. (laughs) So, yeah. I said, I think we spoke about the fact that I wanted to make some because I thought I genuinely thought that I was allergic to it 
and then I saw your posts and your stories about how you have like you pretty much like have three sometimes a day some of your stories and I was like okay let's let's find out what this is <laughs> like let's do it and so you sent me like the ingredients of it and I was like oh I can have that like that's great like I let's make it and so yeah I definitely want to try it um and maybe maybe we can like maybe we can try your recipe and see on the Instagram pod like Instagram podcast to see like whether we can try it or not but like I'm definitely interested to try it because so many when I lived in California there were so many people that tried it um and I just never thought that I was able to have it so yeah I'm really excited to yeah I love that you have that as a dish yay thank you yes I remember sending that to you I think it'd be really fun to make someday together and just see how you like it. There's so many ways to customize it and it really is as simple as pea cream and sugar. I always thought that, I guess I always ruled out boba as something I could ever have because I can't have milk. I honestly didn't realize you could make it with like oat milk, which might be a really stupid thing to say, but I just always assumed it was with regular milk. Yeah, so traditionally, it was always made with non-dairy creamer. So in Asia, um, it was made with non-dairy creamer. And then I guess in, I don't know, 2010s and recent years, people have been like, oh, fresh, organic, whole milk. And there was like this really good push for like using real milk in boba. And I have a mild allergy to dairy. And so that was not ideal for me. Um, and so it really wasn't until maybe this past two years where more of the boutique posh, as my friends say, uh, boba places. And I like my friends make fun of me a lot. They're like, oh, you only like like the fancy boba places because they do this and that. And I'm like, they have milk alternatives like oat milk. You know, they'll use almond milk, oat milk, hemp milk, and then they also source their teas outside of the US and all these other ingredients. And they're just higher quality rather than your typical like traditional boba. And so it was, I feel like a more of a recent shift to using other dairy alternatives in boba. And having made boba in a boba shop before, I know how to make it at home. So I was able to customize it a little bit easier. So, yeah. Definitely worth trying. I don't know. Honestly, it's just kind of like drinking tea that's creamier and a little bit sweeter with good toppings. So, yeah. I'm definitely excited to try it. And do you find like it's a little bit like of comfort to you? Yes. Uh, I find, I don't know if it's because in college, if I was stressed out, I would go get a belt button or knowing that I know what's in it and I don't have to stress about it. But having, cause I'll drink it warm and iced. Um, there's something about it, especially warm. It's like having a warm cup of tea at night, you know, or when you're stressed and just kind of like cuddling up with a blanket near the fire. Um, that's just so comforting and relaxing and there are times where I'll have it as a meal. So I'll put like boba and coffee jelly and pudding in it. So then I get more calories throughout the day. Um, 
for, there's a place in Seattle that I really like and they have what's called a QQ noodle, which is typically or essentially boba, but in a noodle form rather than a ball. And for some reason, I like that better than a regular boba. Um, but yeah, it's very, very comforting and relaxing, especially to make also. And I don't like cooking, so. <laughs> and yeah. do you know where it's from? Like what, what culture it's from? Boba is traditionally Taiwanese. Oh, interesting. That's interesting that you, like, I didn't realize that there were other ways to make it. And yeah, that's just, yeah, I learned something new. And I didn't know that you could do it like warm. I thought it was supposed to be ice. So yeah. Cool, I'm learning so much. It's really, it's really nice warm on, I don't know, it changes the flavor of a little bit, of it a little bit. And then it also changes like the texture of the toppings also. Um, in Hong Kong, so like a Hong Kong milk tea has espresso in it and it's typically sweeter. Um, and so like the different regions have also adapted their own ways of their different milk teas. So Taiwanese milk tea is different from a Hong Kong milk tea or um, like I like having coffee or Vietnamese coffee milk tea, which is very, very strong coffee and has a lot of condensed milk. And I know I said I don't like sweet things. So when it comes to Vietnamese coffee, like the sweeter and the stronger, the better. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, it's almost, There's a whole history in it. It's almost like a dessert. Yes. It was traditionally more of a dessert. For me, it's more of a meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to dish number four. What are you taking? I would be taking sushi. This is Grace's turn. <laughs> my, my favorite go-to food in the world, <laughs> sushi. Could have it every day, honestly. Same. There's, it's fresh, it's easy, it's light. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it. Growing up, it was a luxury. Like, we couldn't afford it. It was more of a special occasion type of thing. And now, I guess, as an adult with adult money, I can eat it every day, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Might break the bank a little bit. It is, like, still super pricey sometimes. But I guess, like, as a kid, knowing that you had that food to look forward to on that special occasion makes it even more important to you and like significant. Cause I guess on top of it being like yummy, it also I'm guessing felt safe for you, um, like a safe food um, to eat. Um, but I guess now do you still, can you still go out to eat it with like your family? Yeah, I can. So seafood, um, sushi and oysters is always an easy option. It's probably the most expensive option, but it's kind of a no-brainer um, as long as, you know, I'm okay with either not eating it with soy sauce or the establishment has gluten-free soy sauce. I'm good to go. Um, and my family knows that as well. So it's nice and easy for everyone. Yeah, we were talking about sushi. Like, I I can't eat sushi because I have anaphylactic allergy to sesame. So it's like super dangerous for me to go into any sushi sushi bar. 
because of how much sesame there is on the counters. But I used to go in a few times when I was younger and we would get, um, we'd get like the, the chef to like make it special and clean all the thing. And so I was able to have it. So I know what it tastes like. I just don't eat it now. But um, yeah, I just, it's not, it's a nice food to have. And like Grace always says that it is, um, a safe thing for her and also the thing is it's social as well because like when you go to a sushi bar like I loved sitting at the bar so you know and then it all coming around and it's like it's a social thing that you get to choose what you'd like what you like and so like what is your role like what's your thing that you get there like what's your order that's a good question I think it varies from place to place but because I am allergic to avocado and cucumbers and onions, rolls are actually fairly difficult to eat. So I usually stick with the sashimi or the nigiri or the maki rolls because they're just simple fish and rice. Um, and you're right, it is a very social thing. And sitting at the bars are always fun. But something my family and I also do is we'll buy the sushi-grade fish at home mm. and we'll cut it at home. So we have a larger portion for a cheaper price, but also it's fun just making sushi together. Um, and so I don't know if that's an option for you, but it's something that we do that is always very easy and nice without the worry of cross-contamination. Yeah, yeah, making sushi is super fun. I, it's, the, I, it's never the same like it is. When, like the the slice of fish is never the same. <laughs> so like I love it. I agree. Yeah, I love it. And I like putting smoked salmon on it and stuff or like just normal salmon. But it's never the slice like it is in a sushi bar. That's true. I mean, they do go to school for like years to be able to cut as um <laughs> cut as they do but I guess um that leaves us with dish number five um what is your fifth dish you're taking to the island so this one is I guess very similar to my first one it reminds me of my mom didn't know how much I loved my mom until I was writing this list and all of my food is influenced by her <laughs> um but it's called Jia Choi and it is a Vietnamese dessert um, that I guess is also very similar to boba is a tapioca dessert and it has bananas in it and sweet coconut milk. Um, so I'm allergic to fresh coconut, but processed coconut is fine because of the way that it's broken down, my body can tolerate it. Um, and I don't have an immediate reaction. Um, so it's an oral allergy to coconut, only if it's fresh. <laughs> And this dessert is served warm and it's typically a street food in Vietnam. So you'd buy it from a car and it'd become like kind of sort of piping hot or sometimes they'd put ice in it. Really just depends on the season in Vietnam because it's really hot. Um, but growing up, I would always go into the deli with my mom. And when you walk in, you can smell the sweetness of the tapioca pudding, uh, but you could always also smell the fresh bread that was baking at the deli. And she would always get me like, it was a very shallow container of this. And I guess 
the part of this dessert that most people like is the banana, the way that the banana sweetens and kind of mushy and like also a little bit firm. I don't eat bananas. I'm very much allergic to them. I don't like the taste of them, uh, but I love this dessert. And so my mom would always get it with me and we'd eat it together, but she knew, well, at first she would get really annoyed that I was always, I would always give her the banana, would eat everything except for the banana. And if she wasn't there to eat it with me, I would just leave the banana in the container and then put it back in the fridge for her. Um, <laughs> which is very childish of me, but like, I don't want it to go to waste, but I don't want to eat it so she can have it. Uh, and so when we went to Vietnam a few years ago, we had this one cart that we would pass by all the time. Every single time we passed by it, we had to get some of this dessert. And I'm pretty sure probably that at least three times a day. And it's sweet without being too sweet. It's a memory that I share with my mom and something that we eat together. We got to the point where she, now she orders it for me without the bananas and the people look at her like she's crazy, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> how, did, how did you manage like the banana? Would you just eat around the banana part sort of when you would get it every day or did you sort of just take Benadryl afterwards and hope for the best? I usually hope for the best, which is not a great way to live. Um, but I've been living that way since I was six. Uh, we got to the point where we order it without the banana. So it still has the essence of banana and I'm not anaphylactic. Mm -hmm. um, I will break out in hives. Um, sometimes I'm mildly more severe, like my throat will start to swell up and my mouth swells up, my lips get really big. Um, but to me, and this is, not the best way to live with allergies. I deal with it, but I think that's just because it's so ingrained in my mind growing up with allergies to just deal with it. Because my allergies weren't anaphylactic, I could. Um, and now that like we make it at home, I just make it without the bananas and everybody else complains about how it doesn't taste the same, but I think it's great. So when you kind of travel around and stuff, do you, Carrie, because obviously like from your Instagram, you've traveled all over the place and I'm just want to know more about how you sort of deal with your allergies and feeling confident in eating out and just do you carry EpiPens or do you just obviously growing up you, it was ingrained in you that, you know, just be okay eating whatever, even if it's, you know, causes you a reaction. But nowadays, now you're old enough and like have dealt with it a lot. How do you manage traveling and food anxiety and, and travel? The food anxiety is so real, especially traveling, um, especially once I developed a nut allergy, honestly. Um, and, and like I said earlier, the wheat and potato are probably some of my most severe allergies. And I think I don't have an ideal answer to this because I always have at least one EpiPen on me at all times. I have one in my room. I have one in my car. Everyone around me knows how to use one just in case. I always have Benadryl on me. Every day I take allergy medicine. Um, and 
when I travel, I try to, to the best of my knowledge, research beforehand places that I can eat. I also try to know the names or terms of the things that I'm trying to avoid in the language of where I'm, wherever I'm going. Um, the tricky part there is that I'm also very spontaneous with my travels, and I don't always plan them ahead of time. So a few years ago, when I went to I went to go visit a friend back in the UK, and on my way over to the airport, I decided I was gonna go to Budapest. And so I did no research beforehand. And then once I was in Budapest, I was like, oh, flights to Barcelona are 13 pounds. Like, I'm just gonna go. And then from there, flights to Amsterdam were like 10 pounds. So I just spontaneously went. And so, although there is a little bit more food anxiety and worry there, I do as much research on my way to that city. And then once I'm in the hotel or the hostel that I'm staying at to find places around me that at least the internet says are safe and then being able to translate on my own or using a phone to ask the servers. Um, and that's really the only thing I do, which is not the best. And then I do also try to make sure that I have allergy friendly snacks in my bag at all times. And I don't know if that's being someone with allergies or having been an au pair, I just always have food and band-aids and toys in my purse. Like, <laughs> I see you laughing and nodding your head. Cause you know, I remember one time there was a fork in my pocket and I don't know where it came from, but it, it just happened. Yeah, you have the mom bag full of everything you could possibly need. And I think that's prepared me for this life with allergies also. I love that. I, I feel sometimes I'm like, did the allergies come first or did the nanny come first? Like, because sometimes I think I'm a good nanny because of my allergies. Like I'm able, I have the snacks, I have the things, I'm prepared for the whole day because of my allergies. But then I think, am I prepared for the whole day because I was a nanny? <laughs> so. I totally agree. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love that. And I, I think you have the same thing of me of travel. I am really spontaneous. I rarely um, research where I'm going because I do have my snacks. And so I usually just go and see what happens. Um, I'll research when I'm there if, but I'd I'd, I don't really, I don't go for the food. I go for the experience and the what I see like what I'm seeing you know I'm not going for like the cuisine because you can get the cuisine globally if you want but I just don't do that like it's not it's just not that's not what drives me to travel where some people it is but like it just doesn't I just want to go there and experience the city or yeah the culture um so I love that and I love that you still do it because I think some people um they they get scared so I think like the fact that you show that and just say hey like this is life and I would I want to travel is just such a great mindset to have and, and if you can travel with 200 plus allergies anyone can travel <laughs> you know it's 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 so it's so great to see you know that spontaneity and just 
going going for it and also the google translate stuff now is so good of the you know writing it and you know even taking like i use it a lot when i travel is like taking a picture of the ingredients and it like translates it for you it's awesome but so i guess with that um if you've made it to the end of our other episodes give all of our guests the ability to bring some items with them um to the island so if you could bring an ingredient to the island which ingredient would it be i think it would be smoked paprika from budapest and i never knew how much i loved paprika until i was walking down the street i guess in the christmas markets and they had a little like Christmas packages and it's like oh that's a great gift to bring back uh to the states and it made my entire suitcase smell like smoked paprika but then um as I started cooking with it after I got back and I was trying to make all these different allergy friendly recipes for myself and just honestly I got to the point where I was eating the same thing every single day because it was safe and I didn't have to worry about it and you know, and I would just put a little bit of oil on a pan, some ginger, a ton of the smoked paprika because I like the taste of it, shrimp, and then rice noodles. And I think I could put this paprika on anything and I would be happy. So, yeah. (laughs) And then we also give you a piece of like a kitchen utensil or a piece of a kitchen equipment um to take with you we do have solar panels so um (laughs) what what would you take just like pan honestly because I cook with chopsticks I don't really know how to cook with anything else that isn't chopsticks and I didn't know that wasn't normal until recently (laughs) but like I can't really cook with a spatula or like tongs or anything else I always use chopsticks but if you're on an island you can find sticks and those make do as chopsticks so Smart. a pan and there's a solar panel right and then I can make a fire so that's yeah and then what, that's good. what cookbook would you bring if I'm being honest I don't use cookbooks I look up recipes online a lot of like our home recipes my mom has never written down there was a time in elementary school where we did a class project and everyone had to bring in their favorite recipe and we made a class cookbook, right? And I remember asking my mom the recipe for this dish that I liked and she was telling me, well, I don't have a recipe. You just throw this much in and that much in and whatever looks good, you know, and you just, you wait till it looks fine or until it smells good. And I was like, I can't, I can't just write that like I need to use cups and measurements and step-by-step things and just the way that our family is we don't do that and then she started to tell me that I needed to measure it with a rice bowl and those were the only measurements that she could give me it was like a bowl of flour and then a bowl of water it's like I have to use cups and these things and I just remember thinking it was so weird for not knowing how to use a cookbook or not having recipes like that. Um, But then I find that when I'm cooking, I do the same thing. Like I was making dumplings last night 
and it told me how much water to use and I didn't do I just I eyed it because I don't do cookbooks I guess it's passed down hey in the generations of how you cook because I think I cook like my mom cooks and it is it is an eye but it's also like yeah, I just, I cook the same way that she cooks because I watched her cook and she actually taught me how to cook. So the people who are teaching you how to cook is how you're going to cook because you don't know anything else. Like for you, making dumplings on a Tuesday is normal. For me, I'm like, how would I even start to make a dumpling? Like I wouldn't even know, but I could tell you how to make Kolkanen from Ireland, like, because that's how I got raised. Like, so it's so... Yeah, it's just so different how culture really impacts your food and impacts the way you eat, what you eat, and like the story behind behind it. Because, you know, we'll never have the same list of dishes because we didn't come from the same culture. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love I love that. It's kind of like cooking cooking with the feeling rather than sort of cooking with the list. Um, and it's just a everyone has a different feeling of what's right. Yeah. yeah absolutely it has gotten me into like some really bad recipes and like food that did not turn out edible whatsoever but we learn eventually yeah um so we do throw a curveball at the end of the episode and unfortunately you're on the island and you're having a great time you're sipping a drink you're sipping boba and you're like loving life and suddenly there's a wave that comes and it takes four of your dishes away and you're left with one. What would that dish be? Ooh, okay. I would say the one that I'm left with is probably the bunset because that is the only one that can be like a meal on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Not the boba <laughs> with all the toppings in it. <laughs> I wish, I, but I think that if if I had boba and just boba with all the toppings, I probably wouldn't live very long. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, at least the one that has like protein and mung bean and whatnot. And like the sushi I can live without, like if I'm living on an island, can I fish and like, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. forage. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be the one I wish to be left. <laughs> and would that comfort you? Like being left with a dish that has, you've had since you were a child, if you're alone. Yeah, in yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for coming on Deserted. Like this has been a really lovely chat and to talk about a different culture than like me or Grace. Like, I mean, Grace, you know somewhat of the culture, but like I don't at all. And to learn different cuisines is exactly what I want from this podcast is to, you know, find out more about food and things. So um, thank you so much for coming. And I just, for the listeners, where can they find you online? How can they connect with you? What you know, I know that you are in Clubhouse now. Like, like plug yourself, share, um, share your socials and how they can connect with you. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram as a foodie with allergies. 
I am also on Clubhouse um, under a different handle, which is Tammy Tam Tam Bam, because a foodie with allergies was too long and they said no. Uh, <laughs> and as of right now, those are my only active channels. I've kind of taken a step back from my blog and uh, a few other things. So I do have weekly allergy rooms on Clubhouse. Uh, the club is allergic to life. And we discuss not just food allergies, but any other allergies. I have some friends who are allergic to water um, and their own sweat. And we discuss that. We're gaming with allergies, um, traveling, and sometimes it's just a place to just kind of come and hang and talk um, and be a part of a community of people who understand mentally and physically what that's like. Um, on Instagram, I am mostly active on my stories, but yeah, and my DMs are always open. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and it's just been such a great chat. Um, and I guess we'll see everyone next time. Yeah, thank you guys for listening and be sure to check out Tammy as well and um, share when you're listening to it and our Instagram is at deserted underscore podcast and everything is going to be linked in the description, the, you know, the show notes so that you can find everything and click away after you've listened to this episode. So thank you so much and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. See you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe and review and tell us what you thought on Instagram at deserted underscore podcast. And we will see you next time on our deserted island.